Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Specifically for us as a, as a church as a whole, but also uh, for us as individuals. And, and, you know, I tell that story about, um, you know, us uh, being in the snow and that start, that's, that, you know, yesterday started off with me going and, and picking my wife up and, uh, I picked it, I picked her up at the, at the house and she got in my truck and, and, and anybody who is married knows that at the end of, like, there, there are, there are going to be times where if you're a married man, you're going to have a plan. You're going to, you're going to do something and your wife says a phrase and she looks at you and goes, what's the plan here? And usually what this phrase means, it's, it's, it's a question, but it's not really a question. It's a question, but it's really a statement and it's saying two things. One is, it's like, I don't really think you have a plan. And the other is, I don't really believe you know what you're doing. So we get in the truck and we live downtown. And so we're backing out of our driveway and we, as every road downtown is, it's a hill. And so we back down into the hill and we start, you know, I'm, I'm pressing the gas and the truck is running, but the tires are spinning, but they're, the, the truck itself is not moving, right? And so I'm going and, and I'm, I'm creeping forward, but then it seems like we actually start going backwards and we're doing this for about four or five minutes. And my wife is loving and is patient and is kind and understanding as she is with her big, brown, beautiful eyes, looks at me in a very soft voice, says, hey, what's the plan here? I'm like, uh, what the plan is, is we're going to try to get the truck back in the driveway and we're going to take your car. Because your car is four-wheel drive, has big knobby tires on it. And she got this big old smile came on her face of complete glee that the fact we had to take her car and not my truck. Anyway, I bring up that story because I think a lot of times what we do is this story is a snapshot of a reality that we as Christians kind of have towards God. And what I mean by that is we look at society and we look at the world around us and we start beginning to think, you know, we look at the, the craziness that is around us in the world and we ask ourselves, we may not be as bold enough to ask God this, but we go, we kind of just look and we go, God, what's, what's the plan here? Is there a plan? Like it, like, do you, do you, do you see, do you have a Facebook? Do you watch the new, like it's like things are going crazy right now. Like, do you understand that? Things are just like up is down, left is right, right is wrong. Like, 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 do you have a plan? Because obviously he didn't ask me to be a part of the planning process. I f- I'm very offended by that. Because if you ask me and Alex, whenever we get together, we can fix all of the world's wrongs. We know how to fix the economy. We know how to fix the stock market, the, the housing market. The, we know how to stop pot. Like, like, he just needs to contact us and we can do it. But there's a reason why he's God and we're not. Because let me tell you the, let me tell you the, uh, the, the, the end of the story. He, he is in control. 
He is sovereign. He is, you know, the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is a person with a plan. But that doesn't sometimes stop that question from popping up, right? It doesn't stop because because we're imperfect. We don't see, we don't have God vision. God vision is, is he, 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 he sees the, the height, the depth, the width, all at the same time. Where we just see kind of, it's like 2D versus 3D. We only can see what right in front of our face and the circumstances that led us here, where he can see the circumstances that led you here and me here and him here and you here and all, all at the same time. And because he's eternal, he can see past, present, and future events on a wider scale. And so I say all of that to say this, that he had, he's far more qualified to come up with the plan than you and I are. And here's, here's the other thing. Um, he did give us a plan. It's right here. But the problem is sometimes is we, unfortunately, we don't, we don't look at this all the way. We, we sometimes we, de- we, we go in and I, feel, I, I find myself guilty of this all the time. I go to read scripture to prove my point, not to get to know him, right? And so when you look at scripture and we begin to kind of survey and, and look over the landscape of life and society, we see God very active in implementing his plan. And what his plan is, is this. We see, where am I at? There we are. We see the scripture in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. It says, Arise, shine, let uh, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness over its people. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. See, God's plan is, is when things get dark, he gets brighter. See, we look at the, we look at society and we look at what's going on, even directly, the things that directly affect us or on a more larger, from a more larger context. And we start thinking to ourselves, wow, it like, it's getting dark, God. What, what's the plan here? And, and, and I just feel like the God, like, like God is speaking to his church right now and he's saying, look at, I got it. I got it. I'm not, none of this is, is, is taking me off guard. I'm not shocked. I'm not looking around. I didn't fall asleep on the throne. I didn't, you know, I didn't wake up and go, oh man, 2020, that was, that got out of hand. No, he, he is well in control. But I believe that we can find a powerful truth and reality in what God's plan is more so in John chapter 12. I'm sorry, John chapter 8, verse 12. Uh, it's simple, but I believe it's, it's pretty profound that it's a, John chapter 12, verse 8, I'm sorry, John chapter 8, verse 12, it, sa- it states that um, when Jesus spoke again to his people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. See, this concept of Jesus being the light is woven all through the gospel of John. 
you see it all over the place. You see it in John 1, very first chapter, John 1, 4. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 9, 1 through 7, it says, And he went along, he saw a blind man from birth, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who has sinned this man or his parents, that he, uh, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but Jesus said, But this happened so that the works of God may be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva, and he put it on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Shalom. So the man went and he washed and became whole. See, the, the Bible makes a, a very clear picture that there's two things. There's Jesus is the light. He's answer, that is the answer to the question. Well, what question? Well, there's darkness. Why is there darkness? There's darkness that, that because we are sinful, because we are, were conceived in sin, because Adam and Eve decided to have an, a piece of fruit instead of hang out with God, we, humanity, fell. And as a byproduct of that, as a byproduct of that, we live now in darkness. But the reality is, is that people who are far from God are ones who are stumbling in the dark. See, John eleven ten says it says when a walk when a when a person walks at night, they stumble for they have no light. Jesus is giving this example of sometimes we as Christians may look at the we look at the world and we go, why are you doing that? Like I have caught myself so many times being so frustrated or angry at unsaved people for doing unsaved things. And I feel, that, I feel God kind of just tap on my heart shoulder and go, hey, dude, what do you expect? It's like my son. My son's seven. Well, he will be seven in March, so he's six. And so, but when he was growing up, he would do things, you know, when he was getting, you know, when he was really little, he loved getting on the back of the, the couch. We had a sectional, and he would love getting on the back of the couch, and he would jump as far as he could and land. And sometimes he would land a little bit too close to the edge, and he'd fall off. And I'm like, man, you're killing me every time you do that because you're going to fall and break your arm or do something. But he, you know, he was invincible. So he landed on the floor, got up, dusted himself off and did it again. And even when he would do it and he would hurt himself, he would cry. Mom would sue them and then he would do it again. And I would get frustrated that, by that. And my dad looked at me. He goes, dude, what do you expect? He's a three-year-old boy. He goes, you did the same thing. He goes, I remember coming outside to you hung by your belt loop from a rope in a weeping willow tree across an empty field because your brother thought it was a good idea and convinced me. He goes, hey, if you do this, you can fly like Peter Pan. I'm like, sweet, I like that. But then he wasn't strong. We had a, a footstool that I got on and then it broke and he couldn't lift me off the hook, so he left me out there. And then he left me out there for 30 minutes until my parents were like, hey, where's your brother? Say, like, oh, he's in the tree over there. And my dad, my, oh man, my dad was mad. It was really funny. It's a great sermon illustration. But still, we were little boys. It was in our nature. Sometimes we get mad at society for doing things that a, people in the dark do. 
I'm not, and now listen, I'm not justifying it or saying it's okay. I'm giving the reason behind it. They're still, they, they are still needing someone to come along and turn on the lights. They're still needing people to come along and show them the way out. But before we get there, because that's later on, I'm jumping ahead. Isaiah 9, 2, it says, The people walk in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has drawn. John 12, 46, it says, I have, come into the, I have come to the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Are you getting the theme here throughout John? That John is painting this picture throughout his entire gospel that Jesus is this light. I remember uh, me and my, so me and my wife, we moved, um, we moved into with, with my in-laws to help them. Um, and, and I remember the first night that we, we spent the night there and, uh, I'm in, you know, I'm in a house that I've been in many, many times, but I've never slept there. Right. And so, we, you know, we, we get ready for bed, we go to bed and I, and I woke up in the middle of the night, had to go to the bathroom and I'm like, and it's dark. It's like, there's no moonlight. There's the TV. It isn't even like, there's no light on the TV. I mean, it's, there's nothing. And my bed is in the corner. Well, our bed is kind of in the corner and shaded shares like you can sleep in the corners. You know, I'm a good husband. So I sleep in the corner. So the only way for me to get out is to crawl out the bottom of the bed. And so I'm crawling out the bottom of the bed and I'm doing the, you know, just praying my pinky toe doesn't find something before my hand does, right? And I'm trying to find the light or find something. That's kind of the mental image that we need to have when, we, when the Bible talks about people who live in darkness, what it's like for them. You see, when, when someone comes and says, oh, hey, this is the sexual orientation I have, or hey, this is the, the belief system on, you know, uh, I, I'm atheist, or I'm this or that, or they have something that's contrary to what the Bible says is true. That's them groping in the dark. That's not that, you know, that, that, what they don't understand is that is them groping in the dark. I don't believe that's a statement of arrogance. That's a statement of what the word of God says. The Bible says that, that a whole generation is groaning, the world groans for a generation to rise up in the name of Jesus. And, and so what we see of people persecuting the church or, 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 or living in rebellion or living in sin is not necessarily this active, you know, against God. It's them groaning and stumbling in the dark. <coughs> the Bible says that we all know, I don't want to say that. If you don't know, John 3, 16, right? It's a very, very common scripture. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. For whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, right? What does that start with? For God so loved the world. He gave light as a manifestation of his love. That was step one in God's plan. See, God is a multifaceted God. God God's not just sitting there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you my son. John, John 9, 5, 
the, 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 in John 9, 5, it says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. See, there's a second step in the plan. And that's found in Matthew 5.14. It says, you are the light of the world. Let me be very clear. God is not diverting from the original plan. This is a multi-step plan. John 9.5 clearly states, while I'm in the world, this means, this phrase is, there's, there means that there's a time stamp on it. There's an expiration date. This doesn't demean what he did while he was in the world. He established, him, he established himself as the light so that we could be the light. Matthew 5, 14 shows us the, the continuation of the exact same plan. And he's, he isn't talking... Here's the thing. It's like when John 15, 14 very clearly states, you are the light of the world. That doesn't mean the person to your left. doesn't mean the person to your right. It means you. It means me. Whoever is reading this at the time, you are the light of the world. But we'll get into that here in a minute. The continuation of the scripture says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and, get, and it gives light to everyone in the, in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, verses 15 and 16 double down on the first part. Just like Jesus, we were commissioned to lead people out of darkness and deep darkness and we were called to lead them out. The first part of the scripture is a commission. I'm sorry. The first part of the, the is is the first part of the scripture is the description. The second part of the scripture is the commission. It says this is what this is what you're going to do. Now go do it. I'm not calling you to be a light just so that you can on Sundays and Wednesdays it can be really bright in this room. I'm calling you to be a light. So when you go out in the community and the world around you, the people that are in front of you, you can lead those people out of the darkness. I'm not saying people in darkness don't enter this room. They do all the time. But we kind of have them outnumbered. What I'm saying is, is that we have a responsibility when we leave the, this you know, 419 Harrison Street, we leave these four walls, that we are called to be the light of the world. The challenge is, because the devil doesn't like to play fair, right? The devil's a liar. He's a, he's a thief. He's a murderer. We know that. I love the phrase my dad said this weekend. He has no teeth, but he can sure gum you to death. Like, I don't, my, my, my nephew, Owen, he, when he was, I would love, I loved putting my finger in his mouth because he would like, he'd bite, I loved, getting a bite from someone with like gums. But then I didn't realize he had some teeth cutting and I put it in there and it hurt. I was like, Oh no, those, those are, those are some teeth that, that hurts. But here's the thing is that the, de the devil's power is only in his ability to convince you out of your power. Yeah, that's, right. that's the only power the devil has. 
he siphons it off of you and then uses that against you. That's the only thing he can do. He's a brilliant mastermind at lying. I believe there's a couple of lies that he likes to throw out there. The first is, we believe darkness is stronger than light. We ask ourselves this question is, how does it feel, why does it feel like darkness is prevailing and people are just stumbling around? See, here's, here's, here's the thing is, is that we, we believe that there's sometimes that we believe that darkness is stronger than light. We never say it. We never come into a church context and say, oh, darkness is stronger than light. We don't, we don't want to acknowledge it, but the problem is, is that sometimes we live as though it does. And it may, be not, it may not be a continual lifestyle, but there are some times where we go, you know what, this, this darkness is, a, this is not ordinary darkness. This is thick darkness. I don't know if my light is going to be able to overcome this. We actually believe, here's the thing, we actually believe that there is a battle between light and dark. That battle ended with a dude on the cross. He, he sacrificed himself. He put himself, he submit. the Bible says that he submitted himself to crucifixion. Meaning, if he wanted to, he didn't have to. But if he didn't, you and I wouldn't have relationship with the Father. So what he chose is he chose you and I and our ability to overcome darkness over what he wanted. So he chose to submit himself to the cross so that you and I can have relationship with God the Father. And in that moment, he defeated darkness forever. But like I said before, because the devil is a very, very good liar, he has convinced us that somehow darkness is stronger than light. When you get up to, when you get up in the morning or when you, let's say you have to, you know, go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and it's dark and you flick on the light, it's not like there's this little battle between darkness and light that you're, you're questioning whether or not light's going to win that time. What happens? You turn on the light and the light turns on. All, the only acceptable response when light shows up is for darkness to flee. That is the only acceptable response. That is the only thing that happens. I have, so I work for Mojave County Probation Department and so we go out at, at night sometimes and um, we'll be driving around and we can't see the, the numbers on the, on the street. Uh, on the for addresses and things like that and so um i have this flashlight and my wife's wife was very upset when i bought it because it was probably too expensive for a flashlight but it's 1500 lumens and it's super cool anyway i won't get into that so i get it out <laughs> and i turn it on and it went like six blocks and so, like, even my partner was like, dude, that's a really bright light. I was like, I know, right? Because I've only used it, like, in a house or something like that. And, man, oh, man, it gets so hot. Anyway, sorry. It, it, 
it like shined for like six blocks. I believe where we, the root, this, I'm, I'm being facetious, but I can do that. I believe the root of our mindset that light is more powerful than darkness. Oh, I'm sorry. That is the right mindset. Darkness is more powerful than light is rooted in the song, This Little Light of Mine. Anybody been in, anybody been in kids' church growing up? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. Right? I'm going to let it shine. Right? The problem with that analogy is that it doesn't accurately depict what the Word of God says. And I don't think this little burning fire that's white hot of mine, I'm going to let it shine, really rings as good of a tune. But it's far more accurate of what is going on inside internally in the spirit that, is, that, that captures us than this little light of mine. I'm not saying we should stop singing it. I'm just saying. What is happening when we submit ourselves to our heavenly father and he ignites us? It's not this, it's not this little bit lighter at a concert. It's this 10,000 lumen spot. How many have ever been to Vegas and you saw the Luxor and they see the giant beam that you actually can see from outer space? That is what is happening on the inside of our heart. That is what is happening when we submit ourselves. So where in the world does the devil get off lying to us and saying there is some sort of battle between light and dark? It's because to a certain degree the church has believed that somehow the the world and the darkness and all this, you know, there it's power. Jesus, when Jesus died, he overcome it. He overcame that darkness. So what we have to do is, is we have to not isolate and be a really bright room with a whole bunch of people. We have to get out. We have to get out of the room and start shining around people and letting them know that this this is the light that you are needing in your life that will lead you out of this darkness. The problem is with that statement is I think there's a lot of people who believe that they are disqualified to go out and be that light. I believe the second lie that the, that we, that the devil tells us that we believe is we think someone else is going to be the light of the world. Jesus says, you... That word you is loaded with personal responsibility. But you see, the devil comes in, he starts whispering lies in our ear and says, oh, you're not qualified. You're not smart enough. You're not educated enough. You're too old. You're too young. People will think you're crazy. People will think... Sometimes, here's the... Sometimes the devil actually doesn't just lie to us. Is he manipulate? There's a difference between a lie and a manipulating of truth. Manipulating of truth is tone and context. And so what the devil does is he comes into our ear and says, people will reject you. Well, I know that's true. The Bible, the Bible said so. He, Jesus said, look it, they rejected me. They're going to reject you. 
But are we going to allow rejection to overrule our God-given mandate? Are we going to actually look at Jesus in the face and say, hey, what you did on the cross wasn't enough because these people are going to reject me. Essentially what we're saying is that wasn't good enough because we are submitting to rejection instead of his sacrifice. The devil likes to come in and say, well, people know, the people who know you, like your friends and your family, who knew, who knew you stumbling in the dark, they're going to think you're a hypocrite. The people who saw you grow up, the people who know the, where the skeletons are at in your closet, they're going to look at you and they're going to disqualify you because of what they've seen you come through. But see, the devil, what the devil likes to do is the devil likes to manipulate and twist things. And so my response to that is, yeah, exactly. They'll know exactly what Jesus overcame in my life. And that becomes a platform of authority that I get to stand on and speak from experience. The devil comes in and he whispers in your ear, they're going to think you're one of those people. What does that mean? One of those people, judgmental, hypocritical, known for what you're against, not what you're for. You know, just kind of, I'm reading this book. It's called Good Faith. It's called Good Faith. Being a Christian when you're viewed as irrelevant or extreme. It's a really good book. The whole premise of the book is when you believe that you should save yourself for marriage, when you believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, when you believe of giving 10% of what you earn to a church, when you believe of going to a church on Sunday, when you believe God actually speaks to you, you're either one of two things. You're extreme or your belief system is outdated. That is the common belief of people in our society. But I'll say this. People in our society don't have the last word. Jesus does. You see, what we tend to do as Christians is we tend to pass the buck off on to someone else. Because we just, we go, we, we believe one of these lies or we believe one of the truths, whatever it is. We allow the devil to manipulate us out of our calling and out of our destiny. And we allow him to disempower us. And we play this game of, oh, not my job. Well, me and my wife play that kind of a game. Neither one of us really like getting gas. Like, we just don't like it. And so when the gas light turns on, we'll think, oh, they'll, she'll, I'll, I think, oh, she'll put it in. Especially when it's her car. That's beside the point. But the, oh, she'll put more gas in when she drives the car next. Well, then when she gets in, she's like, well, he'll put gas in when he gets in the car next. And we play this game until we'll be driving and the... It's like, oh, I guess you didn't put gas in. And her immediate response is, I guess you didn't put gas in. It doesn't matter. Both of us are pushing you see, here's the thing is, is what we have done is we, we've effectively abdicated our role as the light of the world. And so wherever there's the absence of light, darkness fills it. 
See, did you know you cannot create darkness? Darkness is the result of the absence of something. The only way you create darkness is you remove all light. Same thing like with heat and cold. Cold is not created. Cold is the absence of heat. And so when we remove God out of schools and we remove God out of the medical system, we remove God out of the legal system or the law enforcement or you know, teach, it doesn't matter what, uh, the automotive industry, you remove God out of the stock market, you remove God out of Hollywood, whatever it is, the byproduct is darkness. Because both nature and the spirit abhors a vacuum. Whenever there is an empty space, the spirit will fill it. So what we have to do as Christians is we have to understand it is our responsibility and it is our mandate to go conquer. Romans, Paul says, you are more than conquerors. Why did he equate us as conquerors? Because we have a responsibility to go and possess and occupy places like education, places like healthcare, places like local, whether that be state, county, uh, uh, I'm sorry, city, county, state, and national government, where we, where we go and we conquer courtrooms and conquer the healthcare system and we conquer whatever, the, the, the hospitality system. Not because we're trying to create many churches in it. Because I am a Christian first. I am a follower of God. And it is my job to represent him in this arena. It is my job to simply be a light for the lost and dying and fumbling in the dark people in this area. The third thing that we believe is simply saying I'm a Christian or believing in Jesus is enough. That's a very controversial statement. Let me clarify. I believe... To be a follower of Jesus, we have to admit we are sinful. We have to believe that Jesus died for our sin. And we have to confess that he is the Lord and Savior of our life. That is what makes us a follower of Jesus. That, for the lack of a better term, buys us entry. But once we get in the room, once we get into the kingdom, by, because here's the thing, is yes, salvation is free, but it cost a man his life. He paid the price so that you didn't have to. So really, when we say salvation is free, salvation is free for you. It cost Jesus everything. It cost heaven everything. But God, our Heavenly Father, sent His Son to die in our place so that we can believe in Him. Once we are now in the body, once we're now folded into the kingdom, that we are co-heirs with our Heavenly Father, with Jesus. We sit at the throne with Him. There is responsibilities that are incumbent on us to fulfill. Our salvation isn't predicated on it. But because we call, look, I am a pool child. My last name is Pool. okay? My dad was a pastor before I was born. Ministry is what I grew up in. I grew up in this church. 
ministry, I didn't just grow, because there's a lot of people that have grown up in church, but there's a difference between growing up in church and growing up in ministry. I remember when I was young, I asked my dad, why do we have to go to church? And he looked at me and he goes, it's because this is what our family does. This is the call on our life. I didn't get a choice. I have touched, I, I say this a lot, I have touched every single one of these chairs probably at least 10 times. Women's Christmas party. Thanks, Rose. <laughs> but I say that to say this. Me entering the family was free. But me being in the family, there's a responsibility on me. But see, I had another conversation when I turned 18. My dad looked at me and he says, hey, look it. You're a man. By all, you do something, the, the law's not coming after me, they're coming after you. But you want to live in my house, eat my food, use my internet, use my water, that's fine. It doesn't cost you a thing. That's what your last name gets you. However, to do that, there are some things you got to do. And it's not, and I remember sitting there going, well, if I, what if I want to move out? There's not a problem. You're still my son. I still love you. But just in case you want to know how much it costs to move out, let's go through that real quick. I didn't want to move out anymore. His only requirement was, is you are going to go to church. That's not an option because my dad truly believed for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You are going to respect me and your mom. And you are going to be productive, whether you go to school, whether you get a job. You're not just going to sit and watch TV all the time. I mean, that's what I wanted to do. But what was he doing? He was saying, look it, with your last name, affords you all of this. But to keep all of this, you have to be productive. See, his love wasn't predicated on me being productive. Because a true father is not going to sit there and go, it, that, that's what unconditional love means. But a good father also is not going to let me squander the potential of my life to just sit there and do nothing. Now I have been married for eight years in April. I've remodeled two houses and sold them. Not because, like, my, I can probably fumble my way through building an entire house from the ground up. Because every time my dad did a remodel project, he said, here, come alongside me. And what I've actually learned as growing up and becoming older and more mature is even though I hated it, I hated standing there at 13 years old trying to hold up a 12-foot piece of drywall. Well, he screwed it in. I'm like, I know how to run a screw gun, but I hadn't earned running the screw gun yet. What he was teaching me was he was teaching me how to think. And now I've done things that he never taught me. Why? Because he taught me how to think back here, so now I can do it over here. I went and got my bachelor's degree, my, me and my wife both at the same time. The, me and my wife read an article the other, uh, this was a few years ago. It's like, the top five things never to do in the first five years of marriage. We did all five. We did all five in the first four years. Remodeled a house, had a kid, changed careers, but, uh, uh, go, both of us go to school full time. You know, I... I can honestly attribute every single one of those things 
to my dad, my mom and dad saying, look it, we love you. That is never a question. But because we love you, we're going to require something from you. And see, when we get it flipped and where the devil likes to say is he likes to come in and he says, see, God only wants you to work to gain his love. We don't work for love. We work from love. Let me say that again. We don't work for love. We work from love. And see, what we do is we like to, th- we like to think, you know what? I'm nowhere even close to this. What we like to think is we like to think, well, you know what? I'm just going to believe, you know, I can, I, can, I can be a Christian and I'll come to church, but you know what? I'm just, I'm not going to, you know, that whole light thing, I'll just be the ninja Christian. Have you ever heard of that term? Ninja Christian. It's one of these, it's not just, Wah! no, no, it's the, it's, it's the guy that lives in the shadow, like at work, around certain people, and you can't really tell between him and someone who's stumbling in the dark, but yet at church, the, oh, yep, I'm bright. See, the only reason why I can call that out is I live a large majority of my life like that. When you grow up in church, you learn how to put on two faces really, really easily. And so what I'm, what I'm, what I'm begging you this, the, the, tonight is the fact that God gave too much for us to do nothing. God gave too much for us to abdicate our role and believe the devil in his lies or allow the devil to manipulate our mind and manipulate our belief system to believe that we're something less than this blazing fireball that catches everything around us on fire. I just, I hope and I pray that as you leave here tonight, that what you can take with you is is the fact that God looks at you, he sees you, he knows you, and he's proud of you. I think a lot of times what people do is we believe, yeah, God God loves me, but he doesn't really like me much. Like I told my wife one time, we were, we were, we saw, we saw this, we saw this movie or show or something and the husband and wife just like were at each other's throats and all this stuff. And then the husband looks at her and says, I love you. And she says, I love you. And they walk off. I'm like, okay. But I looked at her and I was like, babe, I love you. I don't just love you. I like you. I like hanging out with you. There's no one on this planet I'd rather talk to and be with than you. See, there's a difference between love and like. God not only loves you, he likes you. He, he wants to talk to you and hang out with you. And he, more importantly, he wants to use you. But he's also a gentleman. And he's not going to force you to do anything without your consent. So what I'm saying tonight, what I want to land on, is I want to land on giving him consent. Saying yes. Saying, you know what, God, I'm going to, I'm not going to allow any, because I know that there's probably so many other lies that we believe, but I just focused on those three. I'm not going to allow whatever lie that I'm believing to shortchange me of what you want to do in and through my life. 
I'm not, I'm no longer going to allow the devil to rob me of my influence, of my impact and my fulfillment. Because we can live life successful with, with money and influence and all this stuff. But one thing that we lack and we only can have God for is fulfillment. And so what I want to do is I want to close in prayer tonight. And I, w- I just want to leave you with that thought of God lo- not just loves you, but he also likes you. And he's just eager to use you and work with you and light you on fire to be the light. Jesus said, I am, a, I am the light. Now you go be it too. That's the Andy Poole interpretation. So why don't you close your eyes, bow your head. Father God, we just thank you for tonight, Lord God. I pray, God, that this word just lands smack dab on our heart, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that that seed is buried deep into our hearts, buried deep into our spirit, Lord, that it manifests a harvest that we cannot contain, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, you give us the courage and the strength to be the light that you've called us to be. I pray, Lord, right now, I rebuke any lie that is shortchanging us from what we are called to be. I rebuke it and I curse it at its root. And I release the truth that says that every single one of us has impact, that every single one of us has influence, that every single one of us has the capability of being a light in a dark world. God, I just see the analogy, I see the image that there's of this lighthouse. God, one of the one of the reasons for a lighthouse, Lord, is that you warn people from crashing rocks, but you all also are a light of a beckoning someone home. So right now, Lord, I pray that we just become that lighthouse for people in our life, that we are beckoning them home, that they are weary, they are tattered and beaten by the waves of life and the darkness of life, and we are bringing them home to the true refuge of your spirit, Lord. And we thank you for what you're doing in and through this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Once you guys greet someone on, uh, uh, or say goodbye to someone as you leave, we love you. We pray that you have a safe rest of your week. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.